How should we go about doing apologetics? There's so many topics in apologetics that it's hard to know where to start. Is there a good way to go about doing apologetics? My name is Kyle Kelts, and in this episode, we are going to be answering these questions and providing you with a practical game plan for doing apologetics. In this episode, I'm going to discuss the three-step method for doing apologetics, as well as discussing a few practical tips to think about while talking to non-believers. So I hope you'll stick around and find these tips useful. Welcome back everyone. In this lecture we're going to be talking about apologetic method. So um, in, for this lecture uh, we're going to start with a new Bible verse uh, and, and for this lecture and the next it's going to be Titus 1 verses 10 through 11. And this passage says, For there are many rebellious people, full of empty talk and deception, especially those from the circumcision party. It is necessary to silence them. They are ruining entire households by teaching what they shouldn't in order to get money dishonestly. Okay, so, um, you know, our, our first verse was 1 Peter 3.15. Obviously, it's a great intro verse to apologetics. Uh, for, for this next couple of lectures, since we're kind of talking about apologetic method and other things, I thought it'd be good to pull out this Titus verse. I think we looked at it in the last lecture, but I thought it'd be good to look at it a, a little, uh, in a little bit more detail for this one. Uh, but yeah, if you're familiar with this, um, with Titus, it is a letter by the Apostle Paul to a church leader, Titus, in Crete, written uh, probably around 63 to 66 A.D. And you know, it's a pretty short letter. You can tell by reading it. Paul is trying to tell Titus how important it is to defend the faith against false doctrine and to live a godly life. What I think is interesting about this passage is that Paul is basically telling Titus to do apologetics, but maybe not necessarily apologetics in the way that we would all usually think about it. Um, I, you know, I personally, when I hear apologetics, I usually think of someone doing evangelism, so they're talking to non-believers. But as you can see in this passage, um, if you're familiar with what was uh, the context of this letter, there was a circumcision party in the early church, and they were teaching that Gentiles, if they wanted to become Christians, they had to be circumcised and they had to follow some of the Old, some of the, uh, Old Testament laws. Um, and what Paul is telling Titus here is that he not only needs to defend the faith um, to the world, to non-believers, um, but he also needs to defend the faith against other believers. Um, so I, I just think this is a great thing to point out, is that, um, you know, it, it's almost like... Uh, well, I mean, just when you're doing apologetics, you're not only defending the faith against non-believers, you're defending it against believers as well. It's it's as an apologist, as a Christian, it's your duty 
to know uh, what the truth is, know what the Orthodox Christian faith is, and then make sure that you teach that to other believers and make sure that you defend that against the world. So um, we're not just doing apologetics uh, against people who don't believe in Christianity. We're also defending the truth of it to other, uh, to other believers. Oh, uh, and one last thing that I thought was interesting, you know, and this just goes, this really, this verse really just goes to show that even, I mean, even in the very early church in the 60s AD, so we're talking 30 years after Jesus died, there were already people trying to teach false doctrine. And, you know, this Titus passage is just relevant today as it was back then. You know, we've got the prosperity gospel, we've got um, progressive Christianity, all sorts of false beliefs that us as uh, Christians need to defend against, right? But um, in this passage, I read in one of my commentaries that the Greek word that gets translated to households um, probably was referring to house churches. You know, if you're familiar with the early church, a lot of the, the churches in the in the first century were just house churches, just small uh, gatherings that people got into. So Paul is saying that these false doctrines are are ruining entire churches uh, with their false yeah the circumcision party was ruining entire churches with their false doctrines. So it's really important to get that correct and and to teach people uh, and to and to speak out whenever uh, um, other Christians are teaching the wrong thing. Okay, well, um, our reflection questions for this lecture. Um, don't forget, if you're new to this series, I, I have a few uh, reflection questions. You know, if you're watching this on YouTube, you can uh, answer these in the comment section if you want. If you're listening on a podcast, you can send me an email if, if you want to interact with these. Um, send me an email to my academic website. Um, but or you, if you're just uh, if you're just you know going along with the series, it's just a, some things that you can be thinking about that are important that I'm trying to get across. But our reflection questions for this lecture are: one is, uh, what do you think is the best approach to doing apologetics? The next one is, what does the apologist need to detect when dialoguing with others about the truth of Christianity? The next question is, what is the apologist's next step after detecting this? And finally. Which would be better? Uh, okay, well, with this question, I don't, I don't want to pa- patronize anybody, uh, but you'll see, you'll get the answer to this question if you don't already know it. Uh, but which would be better when talking to a non-Christian who believes that God exists? A. Defending the existence of truth. B. Presenting arguments for the existence of God. Or C. Discussing the evidence for Jesus' resurrection. Okay. But, but yeah, let's get into this. So talking about apologetic method. Now, the, the approach that I taught in my class um, is, is based off of what I understand to be the, what's called the classical method. Um, it's supposed to be a method of doing apologetics that Christians have used for centuries. Um, this is what I was taught at Southern Evangelical Seminary. Now, if you go on to do graduate work in apologetics, you'll take an apologetics method class, I'm sure. Uh, Most apologetics degree courses have that class. And you'll learn that there's other types of methods than what I'm just teaching you here. The classical approach is is what you see here, these three steps. Um, or Some people break it down into more. I've seen up to like 12 steps. There's also something called presuppositionalism, 
where you're it's 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 less of showing evidence for beliefs that you're trying to like you're trying to make statements and then show evidence so that they'll believe these statements you're making. Um, a presuppositionalism is more where you attack the current beliefs that someone holds and you try to show that, well, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, so your worldview is kind of off, so you need to be thinking about maybe switching to my worldview because I can defend all of my beliefs. Um, uh, then you've got something called evidentialism, which, uh, you know, evidentialism is kind of like the classical method, but evidentialist usually focus on defending the truth of the resurrection of Jesus, okay? Um, I, I don't want to go into that debate. Some people argue that you should be one or, of the, or the other. Um, in my experience, uh, some days I think the classical approach is best. Honestly, I think it depends on who you're talking to. Um, in one situation, I might need to, to just talk about the resurrection of Jesus, act like a good evidentialist. Um, or maybe I don't have time, and I think that I don't have time to talk about the existence of God, so I, I at least want to leave them with the evidence for Jesus. Um, uh, sometimes I run into people who hold beliefs I can tell are self-defeating, so I just I start acting like a presuppositionalist. So I, I you know, honestly don't like that debate. I think it wastes a lot of time. Um I, I think you should be all three, to be honest with you. It just depends on what situation you're going into. But again, uh, you'll get into that if you if you read. Uh, you know, there's books you can read on apologetic method. Um, if you if you get into that debate, you can make your own choices there. But anyways, I, I just like to talk about the three step apologetic method because it has got so many good practical uh, uh, things going on with it. And as you can see here, the three steps are defend the existence of truth, defend the existence of God, and three, defend the resurrection of Jesus Christ, okay? Now, this is all, oh, and my, um, if, if you're watching the video, my um, illustration here I actually got from my intro to apologetics notes uh, that were created by Richard Howe, Dr. Richard Howe from uh, Southern Evangelical Seminary. Um but anyways, yeah, and you see here the foundation is kind of what we're talking about when we defend the existence of truth. It's really philosophical foundations for your worldview. Then you argue that God exists. Then you argue that Christianity is true. Okay? And the reason why we do this three-step approach, okay, what, it's, what this approach is not saying is that everybody you talk to, you need to walk up to them and try to explain to them that truth is objective. And then you move on to God's existence, and then you move on to the resurrection in Jesus. This step is just saying that if, um, you, basically, you start where, you meet the person you're talking to where they're at, okay? If they believe that God exists, okay, but they might not believe that Christianity is true, either they haven't heard arguments for it, or they or they think it, it literally is untrue for several reasons, Um the, the 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 important thing is that they already believe that God exists. So there's no reason for you to start with step number one or step number two, right? If they already believe God exists, then you don't need to argue for that. Um, hopefully they'll believe that, you know, truth is objective uh, if they believe God exists. But yeah, if they already believe truth is objective, if they already believe God exists, you don't need to start with steps one and two. You just, you just start with step three, right? and so on and so forth. So if you run into someone who doesn't even think truth is objective, you probably will need to start all the way back at step one. 
you know, some people are open to God's existence. Um, but anyways, it, the, the order that you see that these three steps are listed in is a practical order. And, and um, you, you basically assess the person you're talking to and you determine which step you need to start at. But if you notice, um, two lectures ago, video number one on intro to apologetics, I showed um, a list of lectures that we'll be covering in this series. Um, the, the topics that we cover are all in the same order as the three-step apologetic method. Um, but yeah, you know, um, if you go to S, uh, Southern Evangelical Seminary, you get a degree in apologetics somewhere. Um, you'll probably be learning a lot more. Uh, that's what's listed here. But, you know, most <laughs> most people when you, that you meet on the street aren't really going to care about the first principles of metaphysics. Um, all of that is a lot more advanced stuff that you'll learn in philosophy classes and apologetic classes at the graduate level. Um, what we're going to be covering, uh, um, talking a little bit about uh, in this lecture and definitely covering the next lecture is just uh, the fact that truth is objective. Because if people don't think that truth is objective, then there's honestly, um, there's possibly no, uh, there that can really affect whether or not evangelism is even going to matter for them, right? Uh, if they think truth is subjective, then I can believe God exists and they can believe God doesn't exist and that's okay because if truth is objective, then everybody has their own truth, right? But anyways, that, this is what the three-step method is all about. Um, if you have to, you argue for all these philosophical reasons for why uh, truth is objective and that we can know reality, then you argue for theism, basically. You argue that God exists and that atheism and pantheism and naturalism are all false. Then you move on to uh, the exclusive truth of Christianity itself, and you do that by arguing for the historicity and the reliability of the New Testament and the Old Testament, and you argue, uh, show all the historical evidence for Jesus' resurrection. And that's what we're going to be covering in this, uh, um, in this series on apologetics. But yeah, that's the three-step method, um, truth, God, Christianity, or Jesus. Uh, and you start where you need to. Now, uh, kind of along those lines, I like to talk about some practical considerations when you're doing apologetics. So, you know, the three-step method that's all kind of theoretical, um, it's just like a framework that helps you think about where you need to start when you're talking to somebody. But these four things I've got listed here, these practical considerations for doing apologetics, are really what you need to be thinking about at all times while doing apologetics, okay? And we've got four things listed here. I think I got these from uh, Dr. Doug Grotai's Christian Apologetics, which is the book that uh, this series is based off of. Most of the material is. Um, but yeah, so the four magical practical concerns when doing apologetics are one, attentiveness, two, focus, three is respect and love, and four is prayer, okay? Um, one of the most, well, all of these are really important. Um, a, a very important one is number one, which is attentiveness, right? Um, we just talked about the three-step method that says you need to start where the person you're talking to is at. Um, and, but the thing is, you can't know where to start if you don't listen to who you're talking to. 
Um, the longer I've done apologetics uh, and evangelism, the more I've realized that a relational type of evangelism, a relational type of apologetics really is the way to go. Um, I mean, uh, you know, working at a community college, obviously I don't defend Christianity in class at all. Um, we do talk about uh, God's existence in uh, intro to philosophy, but I'm, I'm neutral there. But I do talk to students after class, and I share my opinion with them if they ask me for it. Um, but I, I, have, I have talked about the truth of Christianity before, but oftentimes in these situations, I don't, I don't really ever get a chance to talk to them again. Um, the, the more um, effective times I've done apologetics is when I had, when it was more of a relationship uh, type, um, more, excuse me, more relational type thing where I was able to get to know the person um, a l- you know, a lot more than just saying hi, uh, and bye after one class, I got to know them. Um, I was able to talk to them on several occasions and, and do follow up and stuff like that. So, um, but anyways, um, I, I've, but yeah, besides my plug for doing relational apologetics, um, if you don't have that much time, if you do have much time, either way, you need to be listening and asking questions because you need to understand if this person believes in uh, objective or subjective truth. You need to know if they believe whether God exists or not. You need to know whether they believe that miracles are possible. And you need to know whether, obviously, if they believe in Jesus Christ or, or where they're sitting at with some of their beliefs. One thing, especially, so if you're into apologetics already, one thing to remember, okay, is that not everybody is as uh, theologically trained like you are, right? Um, I teach a class on uh, introduction to world religions, and one thing I tell my students, uh, which is good to remember, and you can easily tell this if you are a Christian, for example, or or if you have any religion right now, um, is that just because you understand the core doctrines of a specific religion doesn't necessarily mean that everyone who claims to be a part of that religion is also going to know that, okay? Uh, you know, like, for example, if you're a Christian listening to this or watching this video, uh, imagine all the people you know and imagine all the people in your church and ask yourself, do all those people know all the core fundamental doctrines and 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 maybe some of the not-so-fundamental or not-so-core doctrines, but... Uh, some basic theology, does everybody in your church know that stuff? Uh, Probably the answer is going to be no. Um, For example, I had a student um, I talked to uh, after class one time. Um, This was in my world religion class, but we, we, he said he was a Christian. We started talking about uh, this and that. And I mentioned, oh, I I think he asked me, um, he asked me my opinion on whether, um, uh, Muslims and Christians worship the same God. And that's when I brought up the Trinity. I said, you know, the big difference between uh, Islam and Christianity is that Christians believe in the Trinity. And and he looked at me and said, the Trinity, is, isn't that something that Roman Catholics believe? You know, isn't that a Roman Catholic doctrine? And, 
at the time it kind of surprised me, but you know, I, I, I really don't think I should have been surprised because that's just how things go. Sometimes something that you think is going to be so obvious that someone should know if they claim to be a believer in some religion, um, they might not know that. Okay. So it's always good to listen to people, uh, see what they're, see where they're at, especially non-believers, right? In our culture, I think there's so many people that think that Christians believe in some grandfather in the sky that is just, uh, doesn't really, you know, uh, what, what do they call that? Um, uh, therapeutic, uh, moralistic therapeutic deism, right? Uh, I think there's probably a lot of Christians and definitely a lot of non-believers who think that Christianity is just believing in some God in the sky. And so I wonder how many people think that he is a literal, has a literal body, you know, like God, the father has a body and he's just some deity or something like that. And he just, he doesn't really, he's not all that concerned about us, but he wants us to be happy and he wants us to live a moral life. And if you're good, you go to heaven. If you're bad, you go to hell. Okay. And, and that's, a lot of people are probably going to believe that. So if you're if you're preaching the gospel or trying to argue that Christianity is true, you want to make sure that they that they know that you're not arguing for something like that, right? And the only way to do that is to listen to them and and see what they where they are in their beliefs. Okay? I'll try not to spend that long on the rest of these. Um focus is really important. Number 2 is to stay focused. Okay, and that's 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 for you, but it's mainly uh, for the conversation. Okay, uh, if you are um, talking about one of the three steps, you're trying to argue that truth is objective. You're trying to argue that God exists or that Jesus rose from the dead. You want to stay on topic. Okay, and I'm not I'm not assuming that that if you're doing apologetics, you're going to be switching topics. It's usually the person you're talking to. Okay. Um, you know, I've had experiences where I'm trying to argue that God exists. Like we agreed we would talk about that. And then all of a sudden the person I'm talking to switches and starts asking questions. Well, what about this in the Old Testament? What about this? What about that? Um, you have to you have to say, okay, that those are great questions. But remember, we're talking about this certain topic right now. And we can switch to that or we can meet again sometime and talk about that. But both of these things actually take a lot of talking, dis- discussion. So we need to we need to stay where we're at. And if you want to talk about that later, we can. OK, always remember that um, because because these apologetic encounters, evangel- uh, evangelistic encounters can can quickly go off topic. And um, you want to just stay on what you're at, uh, you know. Um, another thing, uh, I don't, don't take me wrong on this second bullet point. It says, know that some questions are moot if God doesn't exist or if Jesus didn't rise from the grave. Okay. Um, I, I like to make this point, especially if you don't have much time, uh, with the person you're talking to. Okay. Say, yeah, say that you're trying to argue that, um, God exists, right? And, you know, you're going along in your argument, you're, you're having a good discussion with this uh, person you're talking to, and then they start bringing up, well, what about the Canaanites? How, how could God kill them all? And this and this and that. Um, one thing I've, I've thought and I think has been helpful before is, is I'll say, well, that's a great question, um, but... Uh, 
you know, right now I'm trying to argue that God exists. Or, or, or say, right now I'm trying to argue to you, I'm trying to show you all the evidence for Jesus' resurrection. And I'll say, um, okay, I mean, you know, you've got all these questions and I would love to talk about that sometime. But another thing you need to think about is that, you know, you're asking all these questions about what about this and that in the Old Testament. But the thing is, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, you know, if he's not, if he's not seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven right now, or if God doesn't exist in the first place, if, you, if we don't even think that God exists, then really that makes all your questions about the Old Testament moot. You know, like um, the, the Old Testament is really deep. It's a, it's a very interesting but very deep topic. And you can spend a lot of time on that. So it's just up to you to try to think about, is it important to go into these topics? You know, if I explain, fully explain everything about uh, God commanding the, the Canaanites to, to be killed, is that going to help this person become a believer? Or are we just going to be spending all our time doing something when we really need to be focusing on whether God exists or Jesus rose from the grave? Uh, just something to think about. Uh, I'm not saying that you need to do that every time. Um, I've just used that in situations where I thought that that wasn't going to help. Um, and then, of course, remember that evangelization, uh, evangelization uh, is the end goal of apologetics. Always stay focused on that. That really brings us to point number three. Always show respect and love. You have to remember that apologetics is to aid uh, when you're talking to non-believers. Apologet- actually, also when you're talking to believers as well, um, it's... The, the end goal of apologetics is to build up believers and it's to um, evangelize non-believers, okay? So yelling at someone, being rude, uh, getting into some heated debate is not going to help evangelize anybody, right? So you don't want to be getting into these arguments and getting nasty and rude because you're basically defeating the very purpose of doing apologetics in the first place. Um, you know, uh, if you, if you, I, I personally, I, you know, I think there's a time and a place for debating abortion and homosexuality and other hot topics that our culture has today. But, I, uh, if you're mainly doing evangelism, I don't, I would personally try to avoid those. Um, I'm not, I'm not saying that we should never argue about that. I think it's really important to, uh, uh, to represent Christianity in, in our worldview. Um, but if you're doing evangelism, maybe you just want to save those for later. Uh, but if you, if you, if you have to, if you find yourself kind of in a corner and you have to talk about abortion or homosexuality, don't think that you have to convince the other person. I, I think it's a lot easier and it's a lot less heated if you say, well, I don't, I don't want to try to convince you today, but can I at least show you my point of view on this and show you that what I believe is, is at least reasonable? Um, just something to think about. And also, don't forget that um, a part of being attentive, you know, you want to be respectful, you want to be loving, but a, another part of being attentive is determining whether or not you think that this someone is trying to troll you. You know, someone like if you if you ever start to think that the person you're talking to is just there to try to waste your time and maybe just try to ridicule you, um, feel free to just walk away and say, you know, um, if you really want to talk about this uh, seriously, then then call me later. 
or, or let's get together later. But right now, I just don't think you're taking this seriously, and uh, and I'm just going to walk away. So, yeah, don't feed the trolls. Um, now, I think probably the, the most important thing for when you're doing apologetics is prayer, right? We know from the Bible that we can't do anything spiritually without the help of God, so prayer is so important. In the next few slides, I'm going to show you some of the uh, what we think are some of the limits of apologetics. And one of those limits is that we don't think you can uh, argue anyone into the kingdom. Apologetics isn't meant to um, to convert people. It's meant to aid evangelism. And, and evangelism is done by preaching the gospel. And the gospel is the power of God for salvation, right? So if you're using the power of God, it's always important to pray and to remember that it's God doing it, not you doing it. So, yeah, you know, before I meet with someone, I usually pray for the words to say, I pray for patience and compassion and discernment, and I pray for that person. I pray that they'll be saved, right? Uh, we, we, we don't get anything if we don't ask for it, so we always want to ask for it, make sure we're covering our bases. Prayer is super important when you're doing apologetics, okay? So, um, to close us to close us out, I just wanted to sh- talk about the limits of apologetics. Like we've said, apologetics is there to aid. It's there to um, uh, to supplement your evangelism. You know what? If you're if you go out and and all you have to do is just tell someone the gospel message and you don't have to do any apologetics, that's actually the perfect day right there. Um, not even having to talk about the objectivity of truth or God's existence or Jesus' resurrection, just telling someone the gospel message and then they accept it and they become a disciple at your church. You know, that's 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 what you really want. Um, but, uh, you know, but it doesn't always go that way. So a lot of times you have to use apologetics. Um, but that's what it's basically in the context of evangelism. That's what apologetics is all about. Um Okay, so but there's limits to it, right? Uh, and that's what I'm saying. It's it's mainly meant to um, supplement your evangelism. Just don't don't forget. Um, and and I've got a few passages for this, but what we say is that apologetics can one answer honest intellectual questions. Two, it can expose dishonest intellectual questions as really spiritual problems. And three, it's meant to build up the faith of the believer. This, these things really go with what some of the stuff we've already talked about in the last lecture. But anyways, I've got uh, some Bible verses for each of these. So number one is answer. Uh, apologetics can answer honest intellectual questions. And if you, I'm not going to read these. Uh, if, if you want to read them, you can. This, uh, the passage I have is John chapter 20, verses 24 through 31. In this passage, it's uh, it's where uh, Thomas, the apostle who doubted that Jesus rose from the dead, he says, um, "If I don't see the marks, uh, if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, put my finger into the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will never believe." And it's and then but then Jesus shows up, right? And uh, and Jesus tells him, "Put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side." Don't be faithless. Don't be faithless, but believe. Uh, and then Thomas responds, "My Lord and my God." So um, this is a great example in the Bible. There are people who are looking for the truth. Okay, um, I personally was one of those people. I I needed to see evidence before I could believe that God existed. 
I needed to see evidence before I believed that Jesus rose from the dead. So there's nothing wrong with that. Even the Apostle Thomas went through that. So apologetics is used for answering honest intellectual questions. Uh, but kind of like what we've, we've uh, talked about, well, not everybody who has a spiritual problem is going to be a troll. But there are going to be people you find, um, and this this is definitely something I've experienced. Don't think that just because you've got all your your arguments lined up and you've got all your talking points ready and you and you're and you're starting to get really good at sharing all this, don't think that everybody's going to find it compelling. And I'm not saying that just because someone finds it, uh, someone doesn't find it compelling. I'm not. I'm. Don't take me to be saying that everybody who doesn't think it's true has some terrible you know, spiritual uh, secret that they're hiding. But a lot of times, I mean, I don't know. I've just, I've talked to people and they just don't seem to have a good objection to it, but they still just don't want to become a Christian. And for all I know, maybe they do have some kind of spiritual problem. Maybe they have a problem with God. Maybe, uh, you know, who knows what's happening in their life. But um, yeah, our second one is that apologetics can, number two, expose dishonest intellectual questions as really spiritual problems. And the passage I have for this is John 10, verses 24 to 26. Um, this is pretty short. Uh, verse 24 starts with, The Jews surrounded him and asked, How long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. I did tell you, and you don't believe, Jesus answered them. The works that I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you don't believe because you are not of my sheep. Um, this is just an example from John where sometimes people, you can show them all the evidence in the world, and they're just, they just don't want to be Christians. Uh, maybe they don't want to, you know, maybe they just want to live their own life. Maybe they've, they like doing the things they do, and they know that if they're a Christian, if they're going to become a Christian, they can't do some of those things. Um, I have actually seen quotes from atheists saying that um, even if I, you know, saw all the evidence and, and thought it looked true, I, I still wouldn't want Christianity to be, to, to be true. And I personally think that maybe they're missing something there because I feel like everybody should want Christianity to be true so we can all go to heaven. But uh, it's neither here nor there. The thing is, sometimes people just have issues that aren't going to be uh, answered through apologetics. And But also, remember, you need to pray. It's the Holy Spirit that saves people. It's not your arguments. No one's going to argue anyone into the kingdom God is just using you to preach the gospel and show evidence for Christianity. And the rest of the work is the work is done through the Holy Spirit. So just don't ever forget that. And then finally, apologetics can build up the faith of the believer. The passage I have for this is Acts 18, verses 24 through 28. It's a lot to read, so I'm not going to read it. But if you look at that passage, it's you'll see there's Apollos. Uh, and he was really good at not only arguing with uh, Jews about the truth of Christianity, but he also um, helped believe, uh, build up a lot of believers. So just don't forget the limits of apologetics. Um, it can answer honest questions. It can expose spiritual problems. It helps uh, build up the faith of other believers. Uh, what it cannot do, uh, just real quick to close this out, Apologetics cannot make certain people believe. I've already pretty much talked about all this. Number two, it cannot settle some issues of the faith. And it, three, it cannot change anyone's heart, right? Um, I've already touched on number one. You can't make people believe. 
Sometimes you can show them all the evidence you want and they're still not going to find it compelling for whatever reason. So don't get uh, discouraged. Just keep on going, right? Uh, uh, and for all you know, for all you know, um, maybe something you said to somebody, they're going to remember years from now and uh, it's all going to come together for them. You know, I don't know. How, I think it's kind of a rare thing for someone to just change their worldview overnight. Um, number two, it can't settle some issues of the faith. Uh, we, we know this, like I, I would love for Christianity to be united under one church. Um, but, um, there's been a lot of different denominations and different ideas on, uh, theology and, and everything. So, uh, we don't necessarily think that, I mean, apologetics is great. And we, we always want to be arguing against really, uh, bad, uh, doctrine. Uh, but some of these secondary tertiary issues that Orthodox Christians hold, um, apologetics really isn't going to settle those things. And, and I've already mentioned it can't change anyone's heart, right? Um, as, as an apologist, you, you want to just, I think a, a great way to think of it is this way. Um, and, and, and maybe you've already heard this before, but I've heard people say, you know, the best you, you can, like, obviously you, you would love to, to show some evidence and someone become a Christian right then and there. But a more realistic expectation is to hope that at least you put, uh, what they'll say is, um, put a pebble in someone's shoe, right? Just give them this thing to think about and maybe they'll, that'll kind of, that'll stick in their mind and just kind of bother them and bug them and make it so that they'll want to look into the issues more or maybe go talk to more Christians and maybe eventually they will become a Christian, but you want to put a, a rock in their shoe, make it a little uncomfortable for them with their, with their worldview, right? Um, so yeah, that's just, uh, a good bit on apologetic method. Don't forget our reflection questions. Uh, what do you think is the best approach to doing apologetics? What does the apologist need to detect when dialoguing with others about the truth of Christianity? What is the apologist's next step after detecting this? And um, which would be better when talking to a non-Christian who believes that God exists? A, defending the truth, uh, excuse me, A, defending the existence of truth, B, presenting arguments for the existence of God, or C, discussing the evidence for Jesus' resurrection. Um, before I close out with our quote, I wanted to I recommend two books to you guys. Uh, Tactics by Gregory Kugel is an awesome book on apologetic. Uh, it's not necessarily about apologetic method like classical approach and, and all those I mentioned, but it is just a lot of great practical advice on on how to go about start, um, uh, steering the conversation with non-believers. And Fool's Talk, Recovering the Art of Christian Persuasion is really great also by Oz Guinness, he talks about uh, being more persuasive and 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 being more winsome. So I, I recommend both of these highly. Um, but yeah, we've got our quote uh, for these few lectures by R.C. Sproul from page eight of Defending Your Faith. He says, defending the faith to the best of our ability is not a luxury and indulgence in intellectual vanity. It is the task given to each one of us as we bear witness to our faith before the world. And like always, I wanted to um, remind you that uh, um, Southern Evangelical Seminary is a great seminary to go learn apologetics. Not only apologetics, but you can learn biblical studies. You can learn philosophy, all that. We've, they've got master divinity degrees. You know, that's usually, that's your master degree you get if you're going to be a pastor. They have uh, uh, PhDs. That's where I got my uh, PhD in philosophy of religion. 
you can do these classes in person in Matthews, North Carolina. But to my knowledge, you can pretty much do all of this. I, uh, I think every single degree you can do online. So, um, so look into that, especially if you're more interested in digging deeper into these apologetic issues. And also don't forget Kingdom Preparatory Academy. This is the, uh, uh, this is the classical school here in Lubbock, Texas, where I teach my apologetics class. Um, it is pre-K through, uh, pre-K through 12, uh, classical school. So, um, they do a, uh, university model where the students are, are only, uh, only going to class all day um, on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Um, that might change, but it's a very interesting, very great school, and I highly recommend it if you are in the Lubbock area. Uh, but yeah, that's all I have for you, and I'll see you in the next lecture.